If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Exodus chapter 5. And also, if you did print out a sermon guide, I want you to go ahead and grab it right now because my intro is really the first point in the sermon guide. And so whether you have a sermon guide or not, uh, number one in the notes is disappointment is a given. Disappointment is a given. A little bit of Captain Obvious, but I feel like I really have to lay that out there because so much of our Christian subculture today pushes against that. And it's like, you know, if you listen to contemporary music, it's going to be like, you know, everything's great, everything's wonderful, me and boyfriend Jesus, things are just always wonderful. But that's not true. Hardship comes. Disappointment is a given. Now, there are joys. There are wonderful things in this world. Praise God, innumerably so, and praise God for that. But it would be a lie to not acknowledge the fact that disappointment is a given. So much of my collegiate track and field career was just a lesson in disappointment. So often it was like I would get right on the cusp of, of achieving my goals, the things that I wanted to do, right on the cusp, hope is abounding, and then pow, my Achilles. And so then I'd go into boot for six weeks, rehab for a couple of months, start all over again, get back to the cusp of achieving my goals, and pow, Achilles again. Five years of this, over and over and over, and it, it only hurt so bad, like disappointment-wise, because hope would always brim. I'm right on the cusp. It's about to happen. And then pow. Over and over and over. Disappointment is a given. And disappointment affects all of us. I mean, some of you, you, you know, you, maybe this is you. you. You had a vision for what your life was going to be like what marriage was going to be like, and maybe you didn't get married, and, and that brought a disappointment. Or maybe you did get married, and it's nothing like what you thought it was going to be, and there's disappointment there. You had a vision for what it would be, you know, what parenting would be like, what work would be like, where you would live, how your life would go, and that hasn't happened. And there's disappointment. Sometimes we're disappointed with ourselves, the sin that we commit, and we need to repent and turn back to Jesus and feel His embrace. But sometimes we're disappointed with others. Sometimes we're disappointed just with the circumstances of life. Disappointment is a given. And sometimes when this disappointment comes, let's be honest, sometimes it leaves us frustrated with God. And we question and we wonder. This is exactly what we find in Exodus chapter 5. The Israelites, as well as Moses and Aaron themselves, find themselves in deep disappointment at what God is allowing or controlling or just what is going on in their circumstances. They are extremely disappointed. But through primarily their wrong reactions to this disappointment, you and I can learn a lot about how we deal with disappointment. Because like I said, disappointment is a given. So that's not a question. The question though is, how do we deal with it? Like as followers of Christ, when disappointment comes into our lives, how do we deal with that disappointment? 
That's what the rest of our time is going to be spent on. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to read the entire chapter uh, of chapter 5 and just kind of give some running commentary on it. And then I want to come back and observe from the text two ways that we can actually make disappointment worse. Two ways that we can kind of make our disappointment valid and real, but then grow to exponential you know, places that it does not need to be, just completely out of proportion. So observe from the text two ways that we make our disappointment grow, but then also observe from the text three ways that we can make disappointment shrink. Not go away. I mean, if you've lost a loved one, you've seen your dreams evaporate, that may not go away. That, that's real and that's valid, but we can help it gain perspective. We can help it kind of know like the limit of what it to be actually proportional. To help, you know, when we let it grow and enlarge, to help shrink it down to appropriate levels of disappointment. Because it is a given. In this life, I mean, Jesus said it, you will have trouble. And so let's take a look at this chapter, a little running commentary, and then we'll come back and talk about those two things. So join me in chapter 5. Let's actually go back just a few verses into chapter 4. Let's start in verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness, this is Moses' brother, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of Israel. So they came back to Egypt as God had told them to, got the leaders of Israel together. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that He had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And so what's going on right here is like a mountaintop experience. This is a wonderful thing. Moses has shown up. He has shown them the, the signs that God said would prove that He is the one. The, throw his staff down, turns into a snake, put his hand in his pocket, pull it out, it's leprous, put it back in his pocket again, pull it out, it's fine again. The water turns into blood as he pours it out. He showed them all this. He's told them the exact things that God told him to say, and the people believed and they worshipped. I mean, just imagine this moment. For 400 years, they've been crying out, God, save us, save us, save us. And then here comes Moses, gives the signs. And so people are rejoicing. It's about to happen 400 years of being treated as subhuman, being brutalized, being oppressed. God has heard our cries and we are going to be delivered. It's about to happen. So people are rejoicing. This is a celebration. Hope has just flooded into the world. And then chapter 5 comes. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. This is, not this is not Moses tricking Pharaoh. All along, God said, I want you to come out and worship me on this mountain. 
Verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews just has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. I think that us here is inclusive of Egypt and Israel. Like, you need to let us go, our plagues are coming, right? Plagues are going to be poured out on Egypt, but Israel is going to be affected by them because they live there. Verse 4, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. So the foremen are actually Hebrews. They're Israelites. Taskmasters are not. Foremen are. And he tells them, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past shall you shall impose on them and you shall by no means reduce it. So you've got to make bricks. It's going to be harder, but I am not letting the quota down. And the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let, let heavier work be laid on them, that they may labor at it and pay, listen to this, Pharaoh says, pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh just called God a liar. And so again, just kind of look at what's happened here. Chapter 4, verse 31. Celebration. Rejoicing. Things are wonderful. It's about to happen. And then immediately after that, their infliction, their affliction only increased. Things went from better to worse. Has this ever happened in your life? Or seem to have happened in your life like, like you, you obeyed God. You stepped out in faith. Only for things to go bad. Your, your obedience to you at least was seemingly met with a rebuke. Dear friends, we are never to judge the Lord's evaluation of our obedience by the immediate circumstances that follow that obedience. Don't judge it that way. Okay, God is not a machine. You don't like input one thing to therefore necessarily get an output that you desire. God is at work. He is alive and living and He's working all things for His glory and your ultimate good, but that does not mean immediacy. As we said, you know, in week one, God always keeps His promises. Yes. But not always the way we would expect or like. 
the way we would anticipate. And so obedience is not always accompanied by immediate reward. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is not always accompanied by immediate reward. Reward will come, but maybe not immediately. Maybe not until we're in heaven someday. Okay, it will come. But even if it does, it's still obedience. And as Dr. King taught us, the right thing, it's always right to do what's right. But for Moses here, obedience resulted in things getting worse. And so look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks! And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is your own people. But he, being Pharaoh, said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. As they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And so the chapter ends with God's people in increased suffering and just wondering, like, what is going on? You showed up. I thought you were going to deliver us. This is not how, I, I mean, when, when, when Moses came and, and said, hey, God is for you, God is with you, He's going to deliver you. This is not how I saw it going down. Increased beating, increased work. This, is, this isn't part of my 20-year plan. I thought you were going to do something here. 
And so again, we've got to keep on repeat in our minds, God keeps His promises, but not always the way we might expect. But even when it doesn't go the way we might expect, and we find ourselves disappointed, like the people are disappointed here. We thought God was going to work. Moses is disappointed here. I thought, God, you were going to do something. Even when we find ourselves in those places, there are still things that we can do that will either increase our disappointment, cause it to grow, or help shrink our disappointment, give it perspective, keep it in proportion. And one of the things that we can do to make it grow, one of the things that we can do to make it worse, and this is now number two in your notes, disappointment grows when, letter A, we see people as big and God as small. Disappointment grows when, letter A, we see people as big and God as small. I mean, that's what the Israelites are doing in this passage. They see Pharaoh as big and God as small. And so think about it. Chapter 2, they cried out to the Lord that He would deliver them. But here, they do not cry out to God when hardship comes. They cry out to Pharaoh. They're completely consumed by fear of Pharaoh. I mean, verse 21, they are ticked off at Moses saying, you've made a stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. They were more concerned about looking bad in Pharaoh's eyes, which is the fear of man, than they were about looking bad in God's eyes. They were more concerned about what uh, this politician could do for them than they were about what God wanted to do in them and through them. And so they cried out to Pharaoh for relief instead of God. And while for the Israelites here, it was Pharaoh that they were concerned about, for us, it could be a boss. It could be a club. It could be co-workers. It could be a group of friends. It could be folks at the office, folks at school. The point is just like, are you, I want to be honest here, are you largely controlled, like emotionally, by how people view you. If that is a dominating reality in your life, like you're, you're only happy when Certain people affirm you. And that's nothing wrong to want to be affirmed. That's great. We want that. I don't want to like people to hate me. But if you're controlled by that and your happiness is completely dependent upon if people affirm you, say the right things about you, then in your life, people are bigger than God is. And that wrongly placed fear has you in as much bondage as the Israelites are here. You're a slave to people's opinions. They are big. God is small. And that is a petri dish for the growth of disappointment. 
Let me put it to you very plainly, especially like students, listen up closely. If you are the least bit concerned with the number of likes, or let alone a comparison with other people on the number of likes they get on Instagram, then one, like, you've got an idol in your life. You need to acknowledge that and go to work against that. But then number two, you are inviting, like open invitation, depression, come here, live here. Disappointment, come here, live here. You are inviting that if you are so concerned about that. I mean, if you view people as bigger, more important than, their opinion of you is more important than, is bigger than, matters to you more than God's opinion and approval. You're a slave. I mean, this whole section in chapter 5 is all about who are they going to serve, Pharaoh or God? And look how many times, you notice how many times, I tried to emphasize it when I was reading, how many times they call themselves Pharaoh's servants. The the question here is, who are you going to be a servant of? Are you going to serve people because you have to have their approval? And yes, we should love people and serve people in that way, but are you serving them to get something, get some affirmation from them, or are you serving God who's already given you His affirmation? In Christ. Whose approval do you seek? Disappointment grows, is made worse when we see people as big and God as small. It also grows or is made worse when, letter B in your notes, we forget God's word and faithfulness. Okay? Disappointment grows when we, letter B, forget God's word and faithfulness. Look at verse 22 again. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And so Moses is accusing God here. It's like, why are you doing this, God? But God has told him three times, going all the way back to chapter 3, hey Moses, here's how this is going to go down. You're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to say, let my people go, and he's not going to do it. And you're going to say it again, he's not going to do it. And then by a mighty hand, I will bring you out of the land. He's told him this multiple times. Moses should know this. But then like at the first sign of opposition, Moses forgets all this. He forgets chapter 3 and chapter 4. He forgets the snake. He forgets the the hand. He forgets the Nile and, and the water and the blood. He forgets the burning bush. He forgets the call of God. He forgets the promise of God. At the first sign of opposition, and note this, promised opposition like he told him it was coming but at the first sign of this opposition as soon as it happens all of those mercies of God vanish and all that he's left with is the current crisis and the current disappointment 
But aren't you and I just like that? God tells us things in His Word over and over and over. And then it happens in our life and, and we're like, what, what's going on? Like, what, what are you doing, God? What, what, what is this that's going on? I, I, I'm following you. Why would this come into my life? When God has clearly told us. I mean, John 16 that uh, Ted read just a few minutes ago. In this life, you will have trouble. But then when tribulation comes into our life, when trouble comes into our life, we're like, where are you, God? What are you doing? And God's like, well, uh, mm, I, I told you this was going to come. No, you didn't. I'm pretty sure I did. No, you didn't. And we just become these toddlers having this fight. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. But the point, the reality is this. Be honest with yourself. It really doesn't take that much for you and I to forget the billions of ways God has been faithful to us when all of a sudden we're faced with a new crisis, does it? It really doesn't take that much for us just to forget everything. We forget, I mean, like that. And when we forget, we can, like Moses here, feel betrayed and deceived and lied to and just get spiritual amnesia to all of these past answered prayers and all of these moments where God has really sustained us through situations we didn't think we might make it through. We just forget all that. It goes out the window. And when we forget these things, His Word and His faithfulness, then whenever disappointment inevitably comes into our lives, it's like we're throwing miracle grow on it. And, and the real and valid disappointment that exists then grows completely out of proportion, becomes this irrational thing that is not close to what... I mean, real and valid. I'm not saying that disappointment's not real and valid. Understand that. It's a given and it's real and it's valid and it hurts. But when we forget God's Word and we forget God's faithfulness, it grows to this place that it should never be. It's kind of like um, Jack and the Beanstalk, right? That story of the kid, son, think he sells a cow, gets these magic beans or whatever, throws them out, and the next morning wakes up and there's this stalk that goes up, you know, into the clouds and there's the giant and all that. I'm not, I'm not even going to get into all, all of that, but just like the beanstalk and how it grew so extremely fast, forgetting God's Word and faithfulness is to disappointment what those beans are to the vine. It makes it grow way out of proportion. Well then, what can we do to prevent that from happening? How can we make our disappointment possibly even shrink or, or from what it is, come back into like reality? Well, by doing the inverse of the two things that we just said. And so letter A then, in number three, disappointment shrinks when, letter A, we remember that God is big. 
and people are small. Disappointment shrinks when, letter A, we remember that God is big and people are small. Like when we see people as big and God as small, our disappointment grows. But when we remember the truth, when we regain equilibrium, when we get perspective and remember, no, God is big, people are small, our disappointment may not vanish, but it will come down to right side. A right fear of God will drive out a wrong fear of people. You understand that? A right fear, the right fear of God will drive out the wrong fear of people. And for the believer, I'm not talking about like being afraid of Him, but having holy awe and reverence of Him. And so a couple months ago, Sarah and I got on this kick and, and honestly, I'm still in it a little bit, of just watching movies about Everest and documentaries about Everest. And I just got kind of gripped by the 1996 disaster that, that happened with Rob Hall and all of that. Uh, two movies have been made about it, one from one guy's perspective where he tries to set himself up as a hero, and then another one that's kind of like, yeah, you weren't a hero at all. You were in your tent crying like a little, little baby. But the thing about Everest is like the, the power, the, the death zone, the storm that happened in 1996. Like I just imagine that storm, that power, that, you know, that, and the all you have to have for that, the rev, like I never want to be in it. I never want to face that. But the awe and the reverence you have to have for that. And that is kind of like the fear of God. God is not going to come and attack you, but He has that kind of power. Like, He created Everest, so it's a little, it's like that's a, that's a pebble in the ocean of God's power. But the fear that you might have in that is, as we sit back and watch a movie about it, praise God, we're not in it, but we look at that and we're like, oh, wow, that would be terrible, but I'm safe. That's what the fear of God is about. And when we get this trembling pleasure almost at the awesomeness of God, that He has this power, that He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. And we remember, like, we don't occupy that space as humans. We're not that at all. Our space in comparison is like a mosquito trying to understand quantum physics. We're just not going to do it, right? And if we're honest, unless you're a coker, even with your human brain, you're not going to understand it that well. But that's the comparison. Like, we don't occupy the same space as God. We are not like God. It's not even close. And when we remember that this same God that we tremble before, this power, this authority, this majesty, is also the God who knows you, loves you, provides for you. Like when you remember that God is king, that He is judge, that He has authority over heaven and hell, but for the believer, God has slammed down, as judge, slammed down the gavel, declared you not guilty, climbed over the bench, turned around, adopted you into His family, wraps you in His arms, and now loves you and dotes on you as a loving Father. All of a sudden, people's opinions of you 
not a slave to that. You have a father who loves you and adores you. He is big. They are small. And when you keep that in proper proportion, your disappointment in life, which is real, comes back down to size. When you remember this, there's a peace that can be found that passes understanding. Because if this God, this God is for you, and in Christ He is, then who can be against you? And so letter A, disappointment shrinks when we remember that God is big, not people. But then also letter B, and again it's the inverse of the letter B of number two. And so letter B, disappointment shrinks when we remember God's word and faithfulness. Not when we forget, when we remember God's word and faithfulness, disappointment can shrink. When we remember His Word, when we remember His faithfulness, and we remember His Word like His Word tells us, yes, hard times will come. And they are hard. Like, this is hard. We read this, sometimes we, you know, spiritualize it too fast, and we don't see, like, what's actually happening. How hard this is on the Israelites. They're getting beaten. They're enslaved. All, like, this, the oppression is happening. Don't miss the hardship that is in God's Word. It's real. And God's Word tells us it'll come. But when hardship, when disappointment inevitably does come, our ship isn't sunk because we knew, like we had been prepared. God had told us these things are coming. Like read God's Word, God's Word honestly. Don't dismiss it. And so we remember His Word. Like, don't be like Moses and get amnesia the moment hardship comes. But then also, disappointment strikes. Like when it strikes, remember God's Word, but also remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness. Like in this room, except no one's in this room, so in the room that you're watching on right now, or within, you know, a a, a small circle around your house, the people that are around you. You know someone, maybe it's your neighbor, I can definitely say it for my neighbors, some of them, but you know someone who didn't keep their promise. On small things and big things, like all of us know someone who didn't keep their promise. If we could be honest with ourselves, a lot of times that person's us. But that's not God. Ever. God keeps His promises. Not always the way we expect, but He keeps His promises. Always. And so, wherever you are at, whatever is going on in your life, whatever disappointment you are facing right now, when God says He will never leave you nor forsake you, He means it. And when He says He will always be with you even to the end of the age, listen, He means it. 
When He says He will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, He means that. When He says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ, that's a true statement. He really, really means it. When He says that therefore if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. He means that. When He says that your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, He means that. He is faithful to himself and to you. Like he can't not be faithful. And so just pause and think for a minute. As a matter of fact, shut your eyes, wherever you're at. Just shut your eyes for just a minute and think about how God has shown you faithfulness in the past. How he's brought you to this moment. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. 2021. February 14th. How he has brought you to this moment. Think about this. Eyes closed. How he has preserved you through storms this year and in the past. How he has walked you through crushing grief. Disappointment, heartache, tragedy, worries, financial ruin, issues with your kids, your marriage, aging, sickness, cancer, COVID, death. Just think about it. How He has sustained you how he's been faithful even when you were faithful, faithless. And how he's proved it over and over. Remember. And you can open your eyes now. As you remember that, remember that now, therefore, God's not going to just like stop being faithful to you. He's not going to quit on you. He's going to keep on because He is faithful. He's a promise-keeping God. That's who He is. And so, dear friends, as you face inevitable disappointment in your life, draw that like a warm blanket around yourself. God is faithful. I will remember His Word. I will remember His past faithfulness. It is forgetfulness that causes disappointment to grow so much. Because if we are remembering, like when we are remembering, then when disappointment lands, we have this treasure trove of God's mercies and faithfulness behind us to buoy us through the storms as we remember, hey, I've been here before and God's been good and God's been faithful and yes, it hurts and yes, it's hard, but He will still be faithful. We help disappointment shrink and gain proper size when we remember God's Word and we remember God's faithfulness. But then one more thing to help disappointment shrink. Letter C in your notes. Disappointment shrinks when we remember to talk to God about it. When we remember to talk to God about it. 
Like for all Moses gets wrong in this chapter, and there's a lot. At least he cries out to God. And he doesn't go to Pharaoh like the Israelites. He goes to God. And yet he gets a little mouthy. He accuses God and basically says, God, I'm more compassionate than you because I would have it roll out this way, but you're not. But despite Moses' temper tantrum of accusing God of evil, again, at least he's talking to God. Like he goes to God with his problems. And so friends, even when you, and maybe especially when you feel confused or let down, disappointed, frustrated, maybe even angry with God. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. He's big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our frustrations and our questions. I mean, you think through the book of Psalms, all of the laments, how long, O Lord? Even Jesus on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me and so talk to God in the midst of your disappointments and listen to me he's big enough to in the midst of that disappointment remind you of his love and care and concern for you Look at chapter 6, verse 1, real quick. Right after Moses complains and goes off, verse 6, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. You see what God did right there? Moses accuses him of evil. Why haven't you done it? You haven't done anything at all. God doesn't come heavy-handed at Moses. He comes with grace. He comes with mercy. He comes as a father, reminding his child that he's there, that he is going to work, and that he loves him. He can trust him. He doesn't come heavy-handed even after that temper tantrum he loves him he's patient i remember when eden was born and it was the day maybe it was the day after we got the news of her diagnosis and um i went to toys r us to pick up a gift this is something we did every single time we had a baby we would go and get a toy as a gift to give to the older siblings from the baby just Something we we did, and so I was going to Toys R Us to pick up, you know, some gifts to give to to her three older sisters. And it was the first time that I'd really been alone. And I can remember, I can remember where I was at in Franklin. And I can remember beating the steering wheel with my hand here and just saying, why, why, why? But at least I was talking to God. 
And you know what God did? He did not come heavy-handed. He did not beat me upside of the head for accusing, for questioning. And he also didn't come with some plithy answer of, you know, coffee cup cliche or something. But he just came with his spirit of peace and remembrance and reminding me, yep, your life is different now and always will be. And a lot of the dreams that you had for the future and the hopes and the plans that you had for retirement and this or that, they are gone. Yep. But I'll be with you. I love you just as much as yesterday. And I'll be right there. Friends, this is just one of the differences it makes to be a Christian. To have God as your Father. Like if you are His, yeah, He's not happy with accusations, with questioning. But He's not ever going to quit on you. He's not. He won't. He can't. He will be faithful to Himself. He can't not be faithful. And so he's never, like, just let me encourage you, he's never going to drop you because you blow it. He's never going to drop you because of that. He didn't drop Moses here. Moses called him evil. What you are doing is evil. And he didn't drop Moses, and he's not going to drop you. And the reason is because if you are in Christ then His love and His acceptance of you isn't based on your faithfulness. It's not based on your obedience. It's not based on your performance. It's based upon His covenant. That never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. A covenant sealed in Christ's blood where on the cross He basically traded places with all who believe. And all of His faithfulness and obedience and performance were given to us and all of our sin and wickedness and blaming were given to Him, to Christ. And He took that on and He suffered and died in our place for our sin. But then three days later, He rose again showing the bill that was due for the penalty of our sin. It's been paid. In full, there's nothing left to be paid. The penalty's been absorbed, and in its place is the love of God, who's adopted us into, our fam- into His family and loves us as His own. That's the grace of God towards man-fearing, forgetful, accusatory, living in spiritual amnesia, you and me. Disappointment is a given. But there are ways in which we can approach God that make that disappointment grow as we forget, as we see people as bigger. And there are ways in which we can approach that disappointment that makes it stay at the proper size as we remember God's vision. 
God's word and his faithfulness. And we just talk to him. Talk to him. Let's pray. God, help us. Some of us listening, watching right now are just riddled with disappointment. Life hasn't turned out the way that we expected. Marriage hasn't turned out the way we expected. Parenting hasn't turned out the way we expected. Our health has not sustained the way we expected. Death has robbed us of someone. And the pain of these things are real. But help us to not give magic beans to them. Instead, help us to remember your sovereignty, that you are big, your goodness, that you are kind, your word, your faithfulness, that you keep your promises, but not always the way we might expect, but you do keep them. And that we can talk to you honestly, full of emotion, and know that you won't cast us out. For your glory and our good, help us. Remind us of your care and your concern, even when we can't see it. for your glory and our good. I ask these things in Jesus' name.